McNulty stunning for Emilio to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts no, from Bosby. are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Hi Pompey fans and welcome to PO Forecast episode 89. Well in a tough old game on Sky, it ends on as even and Pompey get a point on the road. Joining me on the podcast today is Andy Mitchmore. How are we Andy? Hi mate, I am living the dream, thank you. How are things with you? Mate, they're great and all the better for speaking to you on this podcast obviously. Oh, big flirt. <laughs> you better drink your wine mate because uh we're gonna be cracking on with this now just for the record there is no wine this evening thank you very much <laughs> no wine just vodka yeah. so kick this off we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna review the game against plymouth following on from that we're going to talk about the efl's new change in rules using five subs rather than three and also we want to know about who should start up front whether there should be two players again is it going to be harrison after coming on off the bench against plymouth and to finalise that, we've got a great interview with Stephen from the Railwaymen podcast to preview and give you guys the lowdown on the game against Crew. Right, Andy, let's go for this, mate. Plymouth, it was emotional. I went over and said it was going to be a 2-1 win. It was tight. A game of two halves. Let's start it off. 4-2-3-1. Okay, okay. Do that again. Like, I didn't predict the Plymouth game on the Crew podcast, did I? No, I've just lost it. Right, here we go. Right, let's kick it off, Andy. Plymouth, it was a game of two halves, wasn't it? Let's be honest. I was pretty bemused at the start that we went 4-2-3-1. Was it something that shocked you in particular, Andy? Were you expecting it from the start? I mean, I was expecting a 4-4-2 to start with. I think that I was definitely surprised to see Naylor, Close and Cannon all on the same team sheet as in a starting eleven. kind of gave it away a little bit. Um, but I think it was something by necessity with Jacobs being out and with Curtis being away with uh, the Republic of Ireland. I'm guessing he thought that his strongest 11 players fitted into that 4-2-3-1 system. Having said that, it's not what I wanted to see. I don't think it was what many people wanted to see. Um, And it wasn't... Well, I didn't see anyone surprised that the first half performance and the first half style of play wasn't as good as it has been when we've been playing 4-4-2 in recent weeks, to be honest with you. Um, so yeah, it was definitely a, a less than pleasant surprise. No, exactly. I mean, but I actually said to Gabe Sutton from the Football Lab before on his show, the EFL um, fan show, if we went 4-2-3-1, I was pretty concerned and thought Plymouth would be able to pick us off quite easily, hoping we stuck to the 4-4-2 despite injuries. Jacket goes with a 4-2-3-1. Luckily, was a bit annoyed, but then Gary O'Neill was on the uh, Sky Sports punditry, uh, friend of the show, Gary O'Neill. We'll put that out there. But um, yeah, I thought he did a good job. Cannon on the left-hand side was the one that really shocked me, mate. Yeah, it was a 
it was a slightly odd lineup, slightly odd formation. It just looked disjointed, right? It looked, it just looked like players weren't used to playing together. It looked like players weren't playing in their usual position. So it just didn't seem right from like minute one, pretty much. It didn't look like there was people slotting into comfortable positions that they're used to being in. It just looked like they were kind of learning on the, not learning on the job, but outside of what their comfortable positions were. I don't know. It just, it didn't click even from minute one. You could tell it was going to be a fairly difficult first 45 minutes, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to start, I'm going to caveat this by saying this is my first half disappointments because just carrying on from that, really. Brian, Brian Williams has looked better, to be fair to him, in, in recent games. Um, but one of the weird things I thought for me was you have Marcus Harness playing and, and he pushed him out to, the, out to the right to allow Williams to play in the centre. Now, if you're going to change the formation, really, you want to just keep Marcus Harness behind the striker where he's looked good when he's played generally. Um, I thought Williams should be played on the left. If you're going to stick to 4-2-3-1, I would have put Cannon in the centre, maybe ahead of close. As we already discussed on the podcast, you can put Hajim Noga on the right or somebody else to play on the right-hand wing. Andy, without grumbling too much about the performances in that sense of the formation, Kenny Jacket comes in at half-time and does make the brave decision to change it up at half-time. Were you surprised that he actually made the decision so early to make the change? Um, no, I don't think so. He's... I don't think I'm surprised to be honest, which is probably a credit to him in that he's shown he's a little bit more fluid in his decisions than maybe he has been in the past. Um, the fact that he's actually committed to that in general 4-4-2 formation recently, I think he's shown that, yeah, he's not not too bothered about changing it up. And he said in interviews that he's more interested in having a fluid, changeable formation and a fluid, changeable style of play. So you can see that he is trying to adapt to the to sort of the game situation. Having said that, I mean we we were speaking before the game about how 442 would be superior to 4231 and like it for me it shouldn't have taken until 45 minutes in for that change to be made um but at the same time credit that he's identified that the, the performance looked so disjointed and we were basically just getting cut apart um Plymouth looked like the better side in the first half uh Mayer looked really really good for Plymouth um caused us a lot of problems Obviously, it was sort of three individual errors cost us that first goal, sort of combination of the three individual errors. Um, and yeah, there wasn't really any... I mean, what I, what I said at the time was there's no flow, no cohesion. Um, but yeah, as you say, you get to half-time, things obviously haven't worked out in the first half in terms of formation matchups. Um, and yeah, he makes an appropriate change and brings uh, brings Harrison on to mix things up a little bit and uh, obviously what more comes on for Nicolaisen as well. Now it's been a while since we've seen Ellis Harrison come on. Obviously you've got Marcus Harness playing up front with John Marcus in that, in that formation in the last few weeks. He's looked excellent. So we said on the podcast before, you don't want to change it up, but bam, Ellis Harrison comes on up front. He adds that, that extra person that we needed really up top. We all knew John Marcus needed a striker up front with him. He looked lost and lonely once again. Harrison came on, but when he came on as well, he had that energy, didn't he? He had that zing. He pressed from the front. He caused them problems. He stopped them passing out from the back so easily as well. When you've got a 3-5-2 formation, you really need to press them at the back in order to stop teams like Plymouth, who play that fluid style of football, from getting the ball forward. So, Andy, how did you think Harrison played when he came on? 
I think that it was pretty much immediately noticeable, right? In terms of him making an impact. It's, as you say, it's that energy he brings. I mean, if you go back, there's so many occasions. Like if you go back to that Sunderland game last year in the league, when he came on at half time, second half whistle went and he just ran straight across the circle. Ran him through, didn't he? And just ran <laughs> through American football star, one of their players who went down like a ton of bricks. Um, but yeah, so he brings that energy and he it kind of brought that focal point. Obviously, for me, the style of football we want to see in terms of that sort of quick, more attractive football, you like seeing Harness and Marquis up top together. But if we are limited in terms of the players who are available, so you need Harness out on one of the wings, then yeah, Harrison and Marquis up front. Actually, having that sort of that bigger physical presence alongside Marquis really gives him, you know, that player to play off and that opportunity. I mean, the first half, you could say the same about that as we said for basically every game at the start of the season as Marquis gets frustrated with long balls being played up to him facing away from goal you could just honestly cut and paste audio from any of the first PO forecasts of the year for that first part of the Plymouth game but yeah as you say Harrison comes on a bit of extra energy um, gets himself around physically obviously he's a big lad um, and then yeah fairly early on in the second half game turns around a little bit you know under halfway through the second half and before you know it we're 2-1 up yeah, and, and obviously the goal came for a penalty. Plymouth fans have been crying on Twitter about it, as always. Is it a penalty, Andy? Yeah, it is a penalty. Oh, like That's Stonewall. His arms are up near his head. That's not a natural bodily position. I don't even like. I don't even see why it's a debate. We're fairly objective, right? We've had a couple of decisions go with us the last couple of weeks. Absolutely. This is not one of them. That's a penalty. If that's against Pompey... If Raggett or Watmore has his arms up there, we go fair and shouldn't be there. You can see why that's been given. I have no idea why the Sky commentator, I mean, I actually prefer high follow commentary, but obviously didn't want to fork out a tenner if I didn't need to. Like, <laughs> I don't understand why they even disputed that as being, you know, a harsh penalty. Makes no sense. To me. It was, yeah, it was pretty stonewall as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, it was it was absolutely clear to me. It's obvious you can't have your hands over your face like that. I know Gary O'Neill said that after the game that it was um he he uh questioned in the same way you are the commentary on that and why they didn't give that as a, obviously a clear penalty. But it was nearly as clear as the strike that John Marcus had for the penalty. He steps up, he's a man in form, he always looks good from the spot, but that penalty Andy, he got it right down in the corner, in the side netting, never in doubt. Did did you feel that he was going to score that penalty again? No doubts. Yeah, I mean, in general, his confidence has looked a lot higher recently, right? He's finding the net from open play. And that's got a or manifest in confidence taking penalties. I mean, it does make you wonder why people even bother with the Penenka outside of like pride and trying to, you know, get a bit of arrogance out there and a bit of ego. Because, yeah, if you hit the ball that hard anywhere near the corner, odds are keeper isn't going to save it even if they go the right way. So, yeah, it makes you wonder why the, the Penenka is even necessary. I remember a couple of years ago obviously it wasn't the best moment in the world for Pompey fans I just don't see why it's a necessary play to be honest like the risk reward of it is for me not worth it just bury it bottom corner like that don't give the keeper a chance and if they get a hand to it and keep it out then brilliant good on them great save but you've got to stack the odds against them as much as possible and yeah that's what Marquis tends to do by just not being dainty about it let's talk about the centre-back partnership at the back Nicolaisen comes off at half-time in one of Kenny Jackett's sweeping substitutions and inserts Jack Watmore coming back from injury. 
we've given Raggett a lot of criticism when it's due on the podcast. And I think that's fair to say. And he did look shaky at the back. I think the whole defence looks fairly shaky. Maybe apart from Johnson and, and Pring at certain times. Do you think Nicolaisen deserved to be substituted before half-time there, Andy? Um, I mean, I don't know if it was purely a case of based on performance or if there was any sort of knock there. I'm I'm not entirely sure, to be honest. I don't think you could single out one of the back four as having a worse half than the others, potentially. I mean, as you say, we, we're critical where it's potentially deserved for, for individual errors. It'll go down as a ragged own goal, and it'd be very easy to say, oh, you know, you see some people on Twitter like, oh, yeah, ragged again, like all that. But on this occasion, I don't think that's warranted at all. There were two defensive mistakes from other players that led him to be in that position. And I don't think many, you know, it's just the way it came off his leg and he had to get a touch on it because the player behind him would have scored it otherwise. Um, in terms of Nicolaisen and coming off, I mean, if it was purely based on performance and tactical, then I think, you know, slightly harsh unless it was always the plan to give Watmore 45, which I doubt. Um, I don't, I don't think you can single out one or the other, but I mean, if, if he wanted some sort of defensive stability, then obviously, you know, Raggett and Watmore have played together more than either of them with Nicolaisen. So we were obviously shaky in that first half. And if he was trying to go back to the tried and tested centre-back pairing who have got more minutes together, then yeah, you can see why why he went with it. And yeah, to be fair, again, it worked because the only goal we conceded in the second half was from a, you know, an unfortunate goalkeeping error, but which, which, you know, it happens. But yeah, you, you can kind of see why he did it. But um, I, I don't think it should be a a case of, you know, people take it as him slighting Nicolaisen in any way. I think we just needed some stability. Yeah. And Jack Watmore brings out the back, doesn't he? He brings he brings a little bit of ultimate stability. He came on, he looked assured. Sometimes Pompey needs someone to boss the defence a little bit at the back, is my feeling. You know, we've had Burgess, you've had Clark. And, you know, now Watmore's stepped into that that role when he's not when he's playing, basically. Maybe that's the case. Bring in someone assured. Bring in someone at centre-back assured. Jack Watmore slides in. He bosses a quite a young defence as well. You've got Johnson on one side. Pring again, both new players to the squad, both quite young. They looked a lot more assured and calm then when Watmore was there. It's also worth noting though, Andy, they weren't under so much pressure straight away from the start, were they? Because when the formation changed, Pompey started pressing further up the field. So in 4-4-2, we, just, we have a better high press, which enables the defenders to not have to make such... Well, to not be under so much pressure. Yeah, exactly, mate. We've seen the the, the press from four four two works so much better than the press with four two three one. I mean, when Marquis is up by himself, or even Harrison's up there by himself, their work ethic is still there. Like they still put in a serious shift, closing down opposition defenders, closing down the opposition goalkeeper. But if you haven't got someone on your shoulder cutting off the easy ball for that defender, then the high press is largely pointless. You're just wasting a lot of energy because it's just so isolated. It's got to be a sort of a cohesive effort between, you know, two or more players. And yeah, when we've got two up top, you definitely see that more. And we have in games this season, like for example, the Sunderland game where it was really, really clear, where it's put the opposition teams in in, you know, under pressure and we've scored goals directly from defensive mistakes caused by that high press. So yeah, as soon as the second half started, you could see that that was going to be more effective. Um and as you say, it took some of that pressure off our back four after a difficult first 45 minutes. So we're at 1-1 now as well. Talk about the defenders. Let's talk about Campering's block. Let's talk oh, about that strong. block. Because that yeah. is a piece of excellent defending. It's that never 
you know, probably fans always say, you know, they want players to give it their all, to never give up, to keep running. You know, you look at even, you know, attacking players and defensive players, you know, the likes who've been revered throughout the club, the likes of Limboy Primus, the likes of Johnny Ertel, the likes of Benjani. Cameron Pring gets back and he sticks his leg out in what I can only say is just a an, an instinctual get anything I can in front of the net and try and block it. Andy, that's potentially one of the turning moments in the game because if that ball gone in, do you think we would have Pompey would have found it difficult to get back into the game? Yeah, it's difficult to answer what ifs, right? Um, potentially, I mean, you'd, you'd say it definitely evens out for um, the mistake that led to the, the goal we conceded. I think that you know breaks you even in terms of uh, in terms of mistakes and goals saved. So, yeah, the ball had gone past McGillivray um, and it was on its way in. So, literally a goal saving block. You just yeah, it's one of those cases, like you say, you just get anything in the way of the ball and you do whatever it takes to keep the ball out of the net and you just basically put your body on the line for the club and that's what you did in the split second. Yeah, one of the better on-the-line blocks I've seen recently. It was one of those ones where you're watching it, you kind of give up. Like You see the ball travelling goal-bound and in that split second, you just come to terms with the fact it's about to go in and then it's just that really nice surprise when you know when it doesn't. It's sort of like Kyle Walker's done a couple of ridiculous ones for Man City that have been the same where you're just like, oh, okay, that's a, that's a goal then. And then suddenly defender comes out of nowhere. And yeah, it was that sort of equivalent. So yeah, definitely levelled out for that first half error. Yeah, and then jubilation, mate, as the ball comes forward, Andy Cannon, he gets the ball, he looks tricky. He looks like he's being invigorated by being put back into the middle, the place where he belongs in the squad rather than playing out in the wing. He's more involved and he manages to get a ball into the box. Now, I'm going to call this a pure cutback for Tom Naylor. He knows he's coming. You know, Tom Naylor is the kind of person, he, he he lives on the edge of the box for these sort of shots. Cameron, he comes in, Cannon, he looks up, he spots him, he plays the ball across and what a finish there from Captain Tom Naylor on, on the inside of the foot as he just finesses it into the corner. Andy Mitchell-Moore, can you please add some more fluffiness to what I've just said about Tom Naylor's goal? Mate, I don't think I can use any words as good as finesse. That's like... That's like R2 on um, FIFA, isn't it? Finesse shot. I don't, yeah. I, don't, I don't have any better words than that. Yeah, it was a sick finish, right? Um, I think both of our okay. goals, their keeper doesn't have any chance with. I mean, you could go up two leagues and I don't think the keeper saves that. It's literally in off the you know, base of the post. Um, keeper slightly unsighted as it goes through one of the Plymouth defender's legs. And yeah, I don't have that much to add on, mate. It was a nice little build-up play. And then, yeah, that's the just the perfect finish from the edge of the box, to be honest with you. You're not going to keep that out. Yeah, no, absolute cracker. Massive fan. Nice one, Tom Naylor. I, I thought we were going to hold out by this point. Plymouth looked out of ideas. They didn't look like they were going to come back into the game. Pompey looks fairly comfortable. And then the corner comes in. It was it was given away. The, the ball comes into the box. So let's just talk about the goal that went in. I'm gonna, just going to caveat this by saying that McGivory does not make very many mistakes as a goalkeeper. I think it's fair to say that we should all give him a free pass on on this one. But the ball comes into the box. If you come for the ball as a keeper, you've got to get something on it. You just have to. You've got to get a hand to it. Even if you put it out for a corner again or whatever, get a hand to it. He doesn't. Unfortunately, he misses it. It comes back in and uh, it goes in the net. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, like as you say, you can count the number of mistakes he's made on one hand um, in his time at Pompey. So could be anything like, you know, sudden gust of winds made the ball carry further than he thought it was going to. It overshoots him um, and then gets knocked back across the goal. Um, and yeah, the striker literally can't miss. But I, to be to be fair, I mean, 
you know, Pompey fans are normally pretty quick to offer criticism where it's deserved or needed. And I didn't think anyone, I saw one person say, pop him, bring back Bass. And then about five other people jumped on him and metaphorically, uh, two meter distance and all that and gave him a bit of grief. So, like, for the most part, I think people get it. Like, as a, I mean, yeah, as a goalkeeper, you, you make errors from time to time. Literally every goalkeeper has those moments. And as I say, gust of wind, something like that causes you to misjudge it in a split second and do all. So not going to criticise, not going to go over the top. Mistakes happen. You move on to the next game and he's got that out of his system now and you'd imagine it won't happen again for a while because on average he doesn't make that sort of mistake. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh well, I think I think we can't all moan about a two-two draw. I think it was it was a pretty fair result at the end of it. Um, but let's move on. Let's move on. The EFL have decided they want to change the game again, which is always an interesting one. See, and don't worry, they're not bringing in VAR. If anyone just started panicking after I said that, but um, the EFL have decided to increase the number of substitutions in a game from th- from three till five which basically means that Pompey will be able to make five substitutions in the game. Obviously, if you're not following, Kenny Jacket loves the substitution, Andy. Five subs? Is that really needed? Or is that overkill from the EFL deciding to try and do something about player safety? I think I wouldn't go as far to say it's overkill, mate. If you look at the number of injuries um, in, well, I mean, specifically the Premier League, the numbers have come out. I haven't seen the EFL ones. Um, The number of injuries... In, you know, in comparison to what you'd normally expect this time in the season, uh, it is higher than normal because last season finished so late and because we're, you know, cramming in games as much as possible. I mean, the number of midweeks that Pompey don't have a game between September and Christmas, I mean, is there, what, one, two? Um, and I know we've got some squad rotation, but I think it's player protection and like managers don't have to utilise it if they want to stick to three and they think their players are physically fit enough not to get injured and they're not overtraining, um, then yeah, just stick to three subs and make the tactical ones that you need to make. But I would think it'd be more a, a case that's more likely to be utilised as if you've made three subs and then you get an injury, then you use your fourth sub. Or if you've made three subs and you're a goal up in injury time, you make your fourth sub and then you make your fifth sub with a you know one little play in between. You know, there's obviously a case to be made that that's not good for the game, but I'm I'm okay with it as an introduction. I don't. I, I just think in terms of player safety at the moment, and you're seeing people get these injuries that are ruling them out for, you know, long like for weeks and months purely because of overtraining and overload um, on their bodies. So I don't I don't mind it personally. I think I don't think you're going to see five subs per team per game. I really don't think it's going to cause that much of a change in tactics. Um, it's more going to be sort of a necessity. If it has to happen, it happens rather than, yeah, rather than, oh, better change all back four and right mid. Like, it's just, I, I don't think that's going to happen. Gaz Jones messaging. Cheers, Gaz. And he says, time added on for stoppages, 10 minutes. I, I do think he's got a point here. I'm quite glad Wickham have got promoted, basically, because let's be honest, there are some teams who will be 2-1 up. They haven't made any substitutions. We've got 10 minutes to go and they'll just start dribbling on players, dripping on players, sorry, here and there. It's going to be one player on two minutes, another player on a minute or two after. Let's try and slow the game down again. Let's bring someone else on. And I don't really have the faith myself that the fourth official is actually going to be accurate in collating this amount of time. It's surely going to be used as a game management tool, Andy. Doesn't that outweigh the the benefits to the, the player sort of the the charade that this is going to help players out from an injury 
I mean, you think it's a charade that it will help players out from being injured? I don't think necessarily having two extra substitute substitutes for a team is going to mean that people stop getting injured on the football field. Why is that? Well, it's not going to stop them, but in terms of like the physiology of it, in terms of like most injuries take place between the 70th and 90th minute of the game because when you get fatigued, your proprioception goes and you're more likely to, you know, turn your ankle or if you're in, you're fatigued and your muscles aren't contracting, I'm going to start that bit again. Um, we know that most injuries happen in like last 20 minutes of the game because when you get fatigued physically and mentally, your proprioception goes. So in terms of you're more likely to turn your an- ankle or, um, you know, injure your knee. Um, I think it will make a difference in terms of injury prevention. I, I don't think it's a charade at all. Um, however, the, the injury time comment is 100% a fair one. It's a, like, if they're implementing this and then not amending time added on, then yeah, it's going to be an issue. But you just have to, I mean, you said you don't trust them not to. We have to hope that they do. I mean, it's not just a League One thing. I was watching Championship the other week with one of my housemates who's a Reading fan. And I think there were like two goals in the first half and an injury and a couple of yellow cards, and there was one minute added time. And you're thinking, hang on a minute, that's that that literally doesn't add up. So much for stopping the watch every time the ball goes out of play. And again, it's a controversial idea off the top of my head. I I've said for a while that I'd like to have sort of a rugby style clock in football instead, where the the clock stops when the ball goes out of play. Because if people are going to start abusing the system like you just mentioned there as a is a possibility, then that would stop that. In in rugby, the ball goes, you know, the clock goes red. Ball goes out of play, game over. Although I'm, I'm not loving the thought of 90 minutes and one second, and you know, um, Marquis is throwing a one-on-one and just blazes it out off the sideline for a goal uh, for a throw-in to finish the game. But yeah, that's that's my thoughts on it, mate. I do think it will prevent injuries in the long run. Cumulatively, it will. It, it may do in a sense. I'm I'm sort of playing devil's advocate here, Andy. But you have to understand, in my opinion, that this has been happening in in all sports. I mean, in football, this is the case generally across the sport, isn't it? So it's not something that's new to the sport. It's something that's happened throughout time. We've always we've had three substitutes. Why yeah, is now the time just, to implement it to five? Because now is the time when they're trying to fit an entire season's worth of games plus a little bit into the space of a season. This is the most congested fixtures are going to be, and. For what it's worth, I'd rather we stuck at three subs and just sacked off the Papa John's trophy or all of, all of that yeah. rubbish, to be honest with you. That'd be my preference. But, I mean, just because something has been a rule for a while doesn't mean it's necessarily the best rule. And I'm not saying that five is better than three, but I'm saying if they're not going to sack off the trophies, and I'm like, I'd rather have the five as an option with, you know, that potentially that, that sort of clock going red, stop the clock when the ball goes out of play. For me, that's a that's a better system. Just yeah, just because something's a rule doesn't mean it's the best possible rule. If people are getting injured, they are. Okay, um, Andy Stevens has a point. Andy Saunders has a point here as well. Which, to be honest, Andy, I, I'll, I know I'll, a guy called Andy Stevens. I'm assuming it's not him. It's not. It's not. <laughs> um, has a good point. And to be fair, mate, I'm not against the rule really. Because let's have a chat about why. Um, he says the sh- should the should suit the stronger squads, so we should benefit. I think there's a fair point to say that the teams with the with the larger squads, the you know the deeper squads, and Pompey are one of those teams, should benefit from being able to rotate players who who are at a higher standard, Andy. So this could only be good for Pompey, right? Yeah, I think um, that squad depth is obviously beneficial, but at the same time, in terms of flow and cohesion, then is you know would would us making five changes lead to a change in that cohesion we said what a difference making two changes made on 
uh, on whatever day of the week it was, Monday, when we played Plymouth. So I don't think it's necessarily a case of, oh, we've got five amazing players on the bench that are going to come on fresh, therefore it'll be great. Because it takes a bit of time for players to like grow into the game normally. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it'll make less of a difference than potentially you're, you're theorizing there for me. Oh my God, I just used the word theorized. Christ. Um, bad yeah, man. Bad man thing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I don't think it's going to make such a huge difference in terms of results. I don't think it's going to make the, the smaller squad teams weaker that by that much. Maybe a couple of points over the season, but I don't think a couple of points gets us promoted in the third again instead of Rotherham. But let's move on. Stephen Ray's message in, mate. And he says, Yeah. (laughs) And he says, um, half youngsters on the bench. Good experience. I think that's fair to say. We can try and blood a few more youngsters and get them in the match day experience, Andy. Yeah, 100 percent Because we're there, there's gonna be more players on the bench, right? And that can't be a bad thing, being involved in the match day warm-ups, getting like, you know, in the changing room in half time. Getting a bit of game time if you are, you know, three goals up with five minutes to go, then obviously you can use your two free subs to to get a couple of youngsters from senior game time. Why not? Um, and then you know get rid of that that injury time by uh, by making subs. Exactly right. Let's go on, mate. We've got crew coming up here on the game. We're lucky enough because me and you, we know loads about crew let's be honest um i know you watch them a lot personally um and you know I, i've been keeping a, a keen eye on them to be honest after the promotion from league two a team who play a lot of good football but we thought you know we'll get someone else who knows more they're on about so here's me and andy's interview with Stephen from the railway railway men podcast right so i'm here with Stephen dell from the railway man podcast the crew podcast guys go check it out and um how are you today mate before we get cracking very good. Very good this evening. Um, thanks for having me on. Uh, any opportunity to talk about the Alex is uh, one I'm going to take, so bring it on. No, definitely, mate. Um, it's great to have you on the podcast. So let's get into it, really. So um, how do you think Crew, first of all, have started this season? Um, are Crew fans particularly impressed with the start? Because uh, I think I am, anyway, myself. I think unless you, unless you follow us, um, you tend to be surprised. Um, I think... What we're doing at the moment is no surprise to anybody at this end. We probably should, probably should be higher because there's been a few games where we've lost one nil that we should have got something, and that's no no exaggeration. Um, so we've we've started well on a we've just been promoted kind of basis, but we probably should be higher in the league than what we are at the moment. In terms of your form, the last couple of games have kind of stood out. Obviously, we start looking at teams that we're playing in the next couple of weeks. And you've had what a, a win against Oxford away and a win against Peterborough, which obviously really jumped out as well. And I think you kept a clean sheet against Peterborough, right? Was it I think the most win? impressive, yeah. I say we kept a clean sheet in both games. The most yeah, impressive which, thing I've been watching them both, and I follow. I couldn't, I, I didn't think for a second we can see the goal. Peterborough lineup looks, has for the last couple of years, looked really dangerous up front. What, what's changed in the last couple of games that you're getting results where you said you've lost a couple of one nils? on the wrong end of some close games what's changed that's led you to not, the right not a lot results? players have just taken the chances we've, we've, play, we've played equally well in all, all the last five games but the, the first three we didn't quite have the luck with the rub of the green where we've missed chances or we haven't had referee decisions going away or something so not, not a lot really we're doing we've, we've been playing basically the same way all season 
Just going to say then, for me, from watching crew generally, um, I watched a little bit of, of League Two as well. I tried to keep in touch with the leagues around us. Um, and, and I feel that what I particularly like about watching you guys is that you like to pass the ball out from the back. You're quite progressive with your play. Um, you have a system that you sort of you stick to and the players know their roles within the system. How important is the the way that you play in the collective um, for crew compared to just the individual players that you have on the pitch? It's, that's a good question. Um, we we did, we've, we found, basically found a formation one day that worked, and we've never changed that. Um, every every player seems to know the role very well. Um, down the left side, particularly, we're we're strong. Um, that's that's a combination that you should look for on Saturday. Oh, we've got Harry Pickering and Charlie Kirk. Both of them are yeah, the the, the partnership down that left hand side. Um, but most of our play goes down there. You mentioned Harry Pickering there, um, who's a player that I, I've particularly enjoyed watching. But could you tell Pompey fans who don't know anything about him? Because, you know, with the most respect, Crew aren't necessarily the most high-profile team in the league. So if he's playing for another side, the likes of Peterborough, Sunderland, I bet you people will be ra- you know, raving about him right now. So what is it that makes Pickering you know, such a good player on that left? He's just always, got, he's just always in the right place at the right time. He's, he's, he, he's playing out of position at left-back, but he looks at home. He, he, he can take a free kick. He's put the ball in the box. He can score a goal from that position. He's just got everything. I, I believe I'm, I, I'm not 100% sure on this, but I think he was fast-tracked for the academy. So I think he was playing the year above and he's played way over... He's playing close to 150 games now and I think he's 21. So he's been he's an experienced campaigner at a very young age. So you, you tend to line up 4-3-3, is that right? That's right, yeah. Um, so other than Pickering, who's obviously going to cause us issues down the left, especially as... You know, we're not the most settled in terms of our back four and our performance against Plymouth. It wasn't the most reassuring thing in the world. Um, what other players are going to be causing us issues, do you think, other than on the left? So we've got five or six. So we have obviously Charlie Kurt down that side as well. I think he got the second most assists in the country last season. And he, he, he still gets some unfair stick, I feel, from our fans. Because um, he, he's one of them players, he's, he's more of a flair player. So fans tend to tend generally tends to take the players who are hard workers, don't they? And he doesn't always give that impression. So he gets a bit of unfair step, but he's very effective. We've got Callum Ainley, who I expect to be on the bench. Um, he was tipped to be worth over a million pounds when he was coming through the academy. Uh, Oliver Finney in midfield scores a few goals. Perry MG, Ryan Winsell, who are two players that I think under normal circumstances they wouldn't still be here. Uh, they didn't have a COVID situation. I'm fairly certain they'd have moved on in the summer to a high league. So we're very lucky to have them too. And we've got a young lad in defence who's played 20-odd games called Luke Offord. Um, he's just signed a new three-year deal. He's played roughly 20 games and he looks like he's been there for about 10 years. He's playing that well at the moment. So Perry and G's a player that I you know, saw and I think was potentially, you could argue, you know, in the top three best players last season in, in League Two. Um, how important was you know, keeping your manager rather and just keeping the team together to him? Because he said he wanted to play next season, I think, didn't he, at Crew? Because um, I thought he could even potentially get a championship move in the summer as well. I know that was talked about. So um, how, how important do you think it was to keep Perry? And do you think it was the pull of the management, the team? Was it just purely, you know, COVID? I think it's a mixture of both. Um, I, I, I believe the players themselves as a group are very happy. The manager's certainly got a lot about him. And again, I expect him to manage at quite a high level. Um, but again, 
where, where teams willing to be prepared to pay the fee for him. And he's out of contract this summer and he's over the age of 24, which is a worry. Um, and in fairness, he hasn't had a particularly great start this season. He's played fairly well the last couple of games, which has probably coincided with the fact that we've picked up a couple of good results. But he's, he has struggled to adapt to League One a bit. That's interesting. <clears throat> Do you think it'll be a case of if you... I mean, I don't know what your expectations are for the season this year, but if you don't go up, do you think in like the next in that summer when his contract's expired, do you think it's likely that he'd move on, or would you feel fairly confident that a combination of manager sticking around, presumably, and get some consistency in the side would lead to him stick around for another year? I I would expect him to move on. From our point of view, I don't think he owes us anything. He's say he's been in the team now for four or five years. He's captain the promotion winning team. It's disappointing if you lose, especially in our position when you lose them players for free. But from his point of view, he's reaching the midpoint of his career now. There's not that much knocking around with what's going on in the football league with COVID and everything. So I would expect him to make that move and I mean, probably deserved. We can probably emphasize that quite a lot. We had a centre-back, Matt Clark, who was obviously yeah. about twice as good as any other player in the sides playing at centre-back for us um, until he went off to... Uh, well, he's, Brighton on loan to Derby is now, and he got Derby's fans player of the season or something last year in the league above. So yeah, take that, Wayne Rooney. Yeah, absolutely punching. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> um, I expect him to come to us, man. I think I saw uh, Perry down Gunwolf having a having a pint actually. Um... <laughs> deadline day, deadline day rumors, mate. <laughs> yeah, throw him in slug and lettuce in Gunwolf keys. Yes, let's Pete riding wing. You just down there waiting for the call. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, mate. Um, Andy, sorry, your question, mate. Yeah, go for it. Um, so in terms of how you're going to be posing a threat to us on, on Saturday, is it more likely to be from open play or are we looking out for sort of dangerous balls in from set pieces and then big centre-backs causing the issue? What would you Not say is the biggest play. threat? Yeah, we don't score many corners. Um, Luke, our centre-halves aren't the tallest defenders in the world, as that's fair to say. Um, but we have scored. We have, but in fairness, we have scored a couple of free kicks this season through Harry Pickering. So which is, I can't remember scoring one last season. So that's certainly improved. But if we're going to, if we get any sort of threat, it'll be from open play on on the counter. Pass the ball out, isn't it? Pass and move. I, I love the way how they mate. I love the way I watch it. I've watched Korea a fair bit this season, and they do like to get the ball down to pass it out. It's they're not going to play the long ball. They're going to stick to their game, play the ball out. I expect them to put crosses in, but it'll be low little low, little crosses. You think that's fair to say? Pass and yeah, move. Yeah, build up. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Basically, the opposite of the original Kenny Jacket ball play up in the air, Andy. If you imagine what people grumble about for Pompey. And you flip that opposite way round, and you play passing centre backs, a goalkeeper who can kick the ball, um, and and wing backs that get forward and support the midfield. I don't know if, if you think that's a fair assessment. But yeah, we'll start four four two. It'll be golden. All good. We will Less, do. Mate. Lessons oh, to be yeah. learned. It's all good. No, but I'm just saying from a style point of view. That's my outside rookie observation from crew. Um, yeah, it's going to be tough. How, how do you guys see Pompey then? That's my shitty analogy of of Crew from a limited perspective. How do Crew fans see Portsmouth? Um, how we're doing? What do you guys think of us? Uh, I watched the game the other night, and and to me it was the classic he- head in hands to pure elation to disappointment. That's how I saw it from the outside. Um, from a, from our point of view, I think I was going to Fratton Park. Always a tough. Well, always a tough ask. Probably not so much this time without the crowd, but I think we've got a fairly good record there. But um, 
Yeah, I, I, I suppose AOC is quite an intimidating place to go. Did you watch the game? Um, so you watched the game the other night on Monday. Um, yeah. I think it's fair to say that we were all shocked, surprised, sort of, that Kenny Jackett decided to go back to the 4-2-3-1 formation that hasn't worked for us. Um, he's turned it round, gone 4-4-2, which actually has worked, which you can see our the resumption of form. Marquis having a striker up top, etc. Did you notice much difference between the two halves that we played in watching the game as a neutral fan, um, tactically? Uh, I can't say I've noticed much tactically. I got the impression that there was uh, there'd been rollers at half time and there was a bit more a bit more intensity about them. But I'm guessing that's not the case, judging by that Kenny, reaction. Yeah, Kenny Jacket doesn't seem like the type of person who like puts a rocket up there at half time. I think. I mean, I came well, when I was on uh, the railway pod last week, and I said, "Oh yeah, we'll probably line up four four two, this, that, and the other." In your preview of our game, and then we started four two three one against Plymouth, and I was like. If we just play four two three one. I'm going to look like a right tit on that podcast <laughs> after going into detail about four four two and how we've learned the lessons from four two three one. But hopefully, based on on that Plymouth game, he will start four four two at the weekend. I mean, I think it was by necessity as much as anything because obviously um, Jacobs is out injured. Curtis was with Republic of Ireland. He's starting tonight in the Nations League as well, which is good to see. Um, I think it was more of a necessity thing, but. He came up with sort of two alternate four four two lineups that could have worked with like you know Hajim Noga playing right mid or similar that would have for me looked a lot more balanced on the pitch and like no one was surprised at that Plymouth game when we looked poor in the first half when it was four two three one I couldn't find anyone that was shocked so yeah you'd think we have to line up four four two right Hugh you'd think so wouldn't you um just just looking at crew from a fan perspective how do you how do you see I mean, I mean, Pompey are always going on about how we're, you know, potentially going to struggle for this period. Are crew financially safe in this COVID period, or, or you guys? Should... I believe we're in a good place. Our our supporters group had their AGM the other night, and whilst I wasn't there, um, I believe that the feedback was fairly good because because we have a lot of young players and they are, and we we don't have the highest wage bill, which helps us. So I think it's. We can certainly do with more money, but I don't think we're in the worst position in the league. You're one of the last teams standing with us, hopefully. Um, what is uh, what's, the deal not, with, but... <laughs> what's the deal with Carl Robinson? So obviously, but Pompey <laughs> fans aren't a big fan of of Carl. Let's face it; he's a little bit of an ass if we're being polite about it. Um, but I saw quite a lot of Twitter reaction from from the crew fan base after you turned them over the other night. What was uh, the deal between you and Carl Robinson? <laughs> Well, um, where do we start? So we were meant to play there in October. Um, I think it was the first weekend, the might be second. And we had a couple of positive COVID tests on the way. So the game was called off about 45 minutes before. Um, fair enough, that, that happens. And then we were meant, this is where it comes in, we were meant to play them again. Um, so I, the game was called off at midday. It was meant to play on Tuesday night and no one seemed to understand why. And, then, and anyway, our manager came out in the press and basically said that he'd been ringing our players, trying to find out inside information on who tested positive, are they playing? Um, alongside the fact that he was missing two of his best centre backs at the time, and then he, and then he was he was contacting the health authorities to try and get us in trouble because we hadn't followed the right restrictions, despite the fact we were told that we have done. So I think it, I think it, it, it's rather than being an Oxford thing, I think it's a personal thing with Robinson more than anything else. I hope that explains it. There's probably quite a few teams. Put a word in. That's not allowed. (laughs) 
Yeah, and there's yeah. quite a few teams that feel the same way about him, to be honest with you. I live in Oxford and, yeah, I can't stand the bloke. Like, it's just, it's got no, like, with, even with some like, people you don't like very much, there are traits that you're like, oh, okay, yeah, you've got some, there's some things you, about you, you that are all right. You might have the management, don't you, or they don't know. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I don't know. Hugh, have you got any other questions, mate? No, let's drive this home, mate. I just wanted to know, first of all, let's go to the great old trek of uh, score prediction time. Uh, you guys in good form. I can see it on your face on the video thing. It's going to be a confident prediction. How many do you think crew are going to win by? I'm going to go a two-on away win. But what I will say about that is, given my prediction on the Railwaymen podcast, that's not a good thing on my perspective. My prediction record is horrendous, to say the least. And that means absolutely nothing. Yeah, Stuart was saying that you all predicted that you'd what beat Shrewsbury and lose to Oxford, yeah. wasn't it? And it was the other way. It was completely flipped and none of you got either result right or something. I think after eight games, I've got one result right and not a score. So Wrong. that says it all. <laughs> Sounds about, <laughs> about the same as us, mate. <laughs> about that at all. All right, that's the beauty of League One though, isn't it? I reckon a lot of close teams, you know, never quite sure what the results are going to be, especially in the time where your players might potentially be out with... Uh, Certainly never boring. No, nah, exactly. Dude, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been a pleasure having you on. No problem. Anytime. Cheers, mate. All right. Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye. This podcast is a proud member of the FanHub 100. Football without fans is nothing, so we've partnered with FanHub to put fans first. Search FanHub app to play your part in the journey. Thanks again, Stephen, for coming on the podcast, mate. It was great to have you on. And Andy, in particular... He seems very confident about Crew's ability to come and cause some serious noise at Fratton Park, doesn't he? Yeah, I mean, obviously we're doing this as a video call on Zoom and you could see in, in his eyes that he's he's quite, well, not even quietly confident, definitely confident for the weekend. And you can kind of see why from the last couple of results. I mean, turning over Peterborough 2-0, turning over Oxford 2-0, away from home. And yeah, they've maybe dark horses to push through towards Christmas to like push up to the second uh, to the top half of the table. But obviously at home, we've not been the most inspiring so far this season, which uh, is sort of the opposite of how it was this time last year. But I mean, yeah, he looked, he looked confident, right? I think they're, they're growing in confidence every week. He looked really confident, but then again, do you know what? So are you, Andy. We are I mean, confident. I've, I've told him I'm dropping him a message at 5pm Saturday either way. So uh, we'll, get, we'll get his follow-up comments after the game. <laughs> right. Well, as we know, Crew play a pretty, pretty fluid system as we would discuss, but let's get into it, mate. Crew, score prediction time. What are your score predictions for the game against Crew? I feel like I should probably stick to what I said on their podcast, which I think I said my heart is 2-1 Pompey win, brain is one or draw. Um, so whichever one of them you want to choose, mate. Two one is a very boring result. So I'll go one or draw. Okay, cool. Um I'm gonna, you? For, I'm gonna go for a two two draw. Um I think crew will come and score the goals. Um and I think we've got goals in us as well. So I'm gonna go two two, which statistically is not a very good score prediction to go for, Andy, but yeah, two two it is. Mate, who's gonna score? Ooh, who's gonna start? But I'm gonna go with I don't want to be boring about this. Let's say, let's say Tom Naylor scores two games in a row and John Marcus gets one. Let's do it. Let's, let's repeat I the like score. It. Repeat the Plymouth result. I like it. Would you be happy with that? A draw? Yeah. Um, I think, 
I mean, if we win, we can what go up into well, we go into, into the playoff places. I wouldn't be unhappy with a draw, bearing in mind our home form. I think, yeah, I think a, a draw would be okay. I also I'm not going to go head over heels excited, but a team that beat top of the league last week, I don't think you can say a point is a bad result. But and then again, you know, you could say that we should be beating teams who are below us in the table at home and they are below us in the table and we're playing at home. So there's an argument both ways. I'm just going to sit on the fence and get splinters, mate, basically. Love this, love this. 1-1 or 2-2. We'll, we'll see you right next week, Andy. Until next time, play out Pompey. You have been listening to the PO Forecast for Pompey News Now. Available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast and Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle.